Mark chapter 1, verse 14 to 28. And our uh, theme today is the authority and power of Jesus' words. After John was arrested, Jesus, that's John the Baptist, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? And you teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Amen. Now, I'm going to start before I pray by letting the cat out of the bag and tell you what the answer is and the take-home application of all of this today. It's like an Agatha Christie novel. Here we go to the back page for Who Done It. Our sermon, our topic today is about the authority and power of Jesus' words. Here's the conclusion. When you speak the gospel from the Bible... When you read the Bible with someone, when you take somebody to a service where the Bible is preached, what they will hear is the same in terms of authority and power as if Jesus Christ were sitting beside them in the coffee shop speaking to them the gospel or standing behind a lectern preaching the gospel. That's a big, big claim. That's the claim of the Bible. And it's a wonderful, wonderful truth to grasp that when you speak the gospel as we have been given it, from the Bible, with the Bible, 
then the authority and power of Jesus is at work. Right, let's pray that we will understand why that is. Our Father, these are big claims the Bible makes. They are not my claims, they're the Bible's claims. And they are born out of 2,000 years of church history, evidencing they are true. And we pray that we will grasp and believe what your Word says, and so be liberated to make speaking Jesus' words our priority and our confidence as a church and as individuals for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, our subject, and you'll see on the back of the service sheet some headings, the authority and power of Jesus' words. Had I had one more day before uh, committing these headings to print, um, I always wish I had one more day, I would have added um, a a title at the front that says, Waggling on the T, okay? Just let me say something that's not on here that I think is important. Sometimes uh, I waggle on the T in an inappropriate way and spend a lot of time introducing, that's not good, but I think here, before we get into what Mark says about the authority and power of Jesus' words, we've got to just get our heads around very quickly what the whole Bible says about the importance of speaking when it comes to God. Let me just very quickly point you to creation. Genesis chapter 1 describes creation. My take on Genesis 1, it's like a creation hymn or a creation poem. I don't quite know how God did it, how long it took, but God created the world and humanity. Genesis chapter 1, though, has a recurring phrase that runs all the way through it. And the phrase is, God spoke, or God said, and there was. God said, let there be light, and there was. God said, let us make humanity in our image. And he did. Right at the start of creation, right at the start of our Bibles, we are reminded that God is a speaking God. More than that, we are reminded that creation is spoken into being. That's the phrase that Chris used in his prayer. It's exactly right. Creation is spoken into being. Now, if you jump forward in your own life as a Christian, if you are a Christian, faith comes through hearing. The new creation in a life is through speaking the gospel creation. The prophets all the way through the Old Testament spoke as God's representatives on the earth. They do two things. They foretell, they speak out to God's people about God's faithfulness to His covenant 
and the call to God's people to be faithful to God. And they foretell, they look forward to the future. Jesus, speaking with his priority, we'll come to that this morning, the apostles. We see it in the book of Acts, the story, the history of the early church. The book of Acts begins with Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and brings the church to life. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and Peter preaches a sermon, the Word and the Spirit at work together with the result that thousands of people were converted on the birthday of the church. The book of Acts ends with Paul, with these words, boldly and without hindrance, Acts 28, Paul preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus. The Word of God is going forth boldly and without hindrance. All the way through the book of Acts, there's a marker statement. It is not the church grew. The marker statement that runs all the way through the book of Acts is the Word of God increased. The Word of God multiplied. Or more literally, there was more and more speaking of the words of God. And then in the church after the apostles, we've been studying to Timothy on Sunday nights, the great conclusion of that letter, the last letter the apostle wrote before he died to Timothy was to proclaim the Word, was to speak the Word. So God's work at creation was spoken. The prophets spoke. Jesus spoke. The apostles spoke. The church was commissioned to speak God's Word. Now, that's really strong and clear from Scripture. Let's get in to Mark, and uh, we'll see it there as well. Now, we're picking up in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. What precedes that in the first little section, Rog looked at that a couple of weeks ago, is John the Baptist. Just have a look at uh, John the Baptist in Mark. Um, just let me highlight uh, a couple of things uh, there. Look at verse 2, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my, what is John the Baptist? A messenger. He is, verse 3, a voice. See, it's speaking. Look down at verse 7, and he preached, saying, After me, one who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am unworthy to stoop down and untie, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is a speaker, a preacher who points people to Jesus. Let's go down to verse 14, where we began our reading. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That is the start of Jesus' public ministry 
And what is striking is that he is a preacher. The word proclaiming just means preaching or teaching or speaking out. When the Son of God walks onto the stage of human history, and this is a big moment, as we saw last week, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all there. It's like creation again. It's the start of the everlasting kingdom of God. It's like Genesis 1 when the Spirit hovers over the waters. The Spirit's there at Jesus' baptism. I think back to creation in Genesis 1. God speaks creation. What do we get here when the Son of God walks on the earth? He speaks. We might have expected a sword and a revolution. What we get to use Paul's imagery in Ephesians is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's a revolution with words. Jesus is a preacher. What is his message? The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Roger explained what the kingdom of God is. It's God breaking into the earth with the last covenant with his people. Hope in Christ, forgiveness of sins, reconciliation to God, the growth of the church, and the return of Jesus at the end of the age when the kingdom of God will become the kingdom of this world, a new creation. Jesus said, that has arrived with me. Repent and believe in me. Now, we know as Mark goes on, that means believe in his death for the forgiveness of our sins. That's his message. And my message, 2,000 years later, as a preacher in the church, is exactly the same. My message, your message, repent and believe in the gospel. The only difference is that Jesus pointed to himself, we point to him. It's just as powerful. How powerful are Jesus' words? You'll see there on the sheet three examples in verses 16 to 28. Firstly, his words, his speaking, calls and commissions disciples. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were uh, fishermen. That's a great little verse just to remind us that this isn't a made-up story, because if it were, you wouldn't give the two guys the same name, would you? It's just confusing. Just a tiny little thing, a little snippet. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting an end to the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, that doesn't make any sense at all, does it? It makes no sense at all that Jesus pitched up and he said, follow me, and they did. It's meant to make no sense at all. 
is supernatural. The call of Jesus comes with an effectual element. In other words, it comes with a supernatural capacity to listen and the supernatural capacity to respond and to leave that life for this life. And that is no different today. It happens usually over a much longer period of time. But the way that it's recorded here when Jesus walked on the earth is to remind us that it is illogical, impossible, unexplainable humanly that these men left everything to follow him. And the call of the gospel, when we read Jesus' words and commend him to people and say on his behalf, come follow me, come follow Jesus, is no less effectual and no less powerful now as it was then. How do we know? 2,000 years of history, say it is so. How do we know? We are in this room, having responded to that call. Secondly, Jesus' words, in fact, just to say before we pass on from the call and the commission to follow him, I mean, it's not one of the greatest speeches in history, is it? I love Churchill. I love him because he is a flawed human being and a flawed leader. And he, he, he delivered some fantastic speeches. What's Jesus' speech to persuade these people to abandon one life for him? Come follow me. That is entirely devoid of eloquence. It is entirely devolved of logical persuasion. It is entirely free of apologetics. I'm not saying they're bad things. They're good things. They're groundbreaking things. Jesus engaged in all of that, but in the end of the day, it is a supernatural call from Jesus to the human heart. Come, follow me. Secondly, it exposes and delivers people from Satan's destructive power. Jesus is teaching. Notice he's teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum 121, verse 23, in their synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Satan knows who Jesus is and that he has come to destroy him. We saw that just in the preceding episode. Just look back in Mark to chapter 1, verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness where Satan is. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. The Son of God takes the fight to the adversary of God. The other Gospels expand on Mark. Mark's a man a few words. The other Gospels expand on what Jesus does with Satan in the wilderness. What does Jesus do? He talks to him. He speaks words to Satan to respond to the temptation. And here Jesus, in our passage in Mark, is dislodging Satan's grip on a human life. How does Jesus do it? By speaking. 
What does he say? It's not another great speech, is it? Be silent, come out of him. He's just said to the disciples, follow me, come to me. What's the other side of that in a human life? To Satan, the prince of this world, come out of him. How does it happen? Through speaking. Now, turn at this point in your Bibles to, we're going to pause here, a little time out, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Yesterday, I was speaking to students up in Arbroath, and my pattern with them was to ask them questions as we were going along. And they would answer me sitting in the room. And one of them at coffee time said to me, do you do that in church? And I said, no, no, I wouldn't dare. And then she said to me, so why are you doing it with us? And I said, because you stayed up all last night, and it's the only way I can do to keep you awake. And I said, did you stay up all last night? And she said, yes. So uh, I'm not going to do that to you now, yeah? Our answers were great, though. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, we're on page 965, and he's talking about people who aren't Christians, before they're Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, in their case, this is someone who's not a Christian, the God of this world, that Satan, you might think this language is very stark and emotive and strong. Is it really true that Satan has the grip of people's minds and hearts? It's not what I'm saying, it's what the Bible says. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Is that not true? When I speak to people who aren't Christians, they just are blind to see what to me and to many of us is just crystal clear. To me, the evidence of the existence of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, and the record that we have in scriptures is just like a no-brainer to believe. But before you become a Christian, it's crazy. You're blind. And wonderfully, God opens blind eyes. How? Well, let's look at verse 6 first. This is him opening blind eyes. For God who said... And notice what we're back in here. We're back in Genesis 1. God who said, let light come out of darkness at creation, has shone into our hearts to give us light, which is the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It takes the words of God to open somebody's blind eyes, and what's the bridge in between? What's the bridge between verse 4, blinded eyes, and verse 6, opened eyes, verse 5, for what we proclaim speak. That's the apostles, that's us. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, 
with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's back to Mark chapter 1, John the Baptist. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. I am his servant. I point you to Jesus Christ. I proclaim his gospel. And what he does is he works to open your blind eyes and dislodge Satan from your heart. Now, that's a very, very powerful little bit in Corinthians to say that what brings somebody from darkness to light is of the same order of power that brought light out of darkness at creation. God's power operative through what? Words like creation, words from people like me, weak, fragile, sinful people, people like you, weak, fragile, sinful people, who are not worthy to untie Jesus' sandals like John the Baptist, who can only get you wet at a baptism, pointing you to Jesus. And when we speak his gospel, he calls. Now, back to Mark. Jesus teaching calls and commissions disciples, it exposes and delivers people from Satan's destructive power, and his teaching is recognized as, a, as different. It's very striking in uh, the, the passage. Uh, earlier in verse 22, Mark records the reaction of the crowds. They were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Notice the contrast Jesus, uh, they make between Jesus' teaching and the teaching of the Jewish religious leaders. If you've ever heard gospel preaching or biblical preaching, the one thing it cannot be is boring or lifeless or dull. That's why you go home at lunchtime on a Sunday and roast the preacher. Because there's something to talk about. Now here, his fame spread for his preaching. That soon quickly changed. We'll see that next week. His fame for all manner of other things that he did. The people were amazed and they said to each other, what is this, a new teaching and one with authority? There's a, great, um, there's a great example. I think it was Whitfield or Wesley uh, and somebody, I think it was David Hume, the Scottish philosopher, skeptic, enlightenment philosopher that kept going to hear Whitfield or Wesley or one of them preaching. Uh, and, and he probably said, why do you keep going to listen to this guy? And he said, you don't believe any of this. And Hume said, no, I don't believe it, but he does. And that's what unnerves me. Why did, why did he believe it? Where's the conviction from? The conviction is not from any eloquence of someone behind a lectern. The conviction is not from someone's eloquence sitting in Costa Coffee with a Bible open. The conviction is Jesus' words speaking through that preacher with a Bible in their hands or through the evangelist with the Bible in their hands. That's what unnerves people. Or melts their hearts. Jesus. 
Now, what do we mean? You'll see the heading on the sheet there by Jesus' words. It's the kind of thing that we know that we are to speak or preach or teach, whether behind a lectern on a Sunday in a church, in our small groups or one-on-one in evangelism. We are to speak Jesus' words. What does that exactly mean? Let's uh, trace the logic through uh, the New Testament. But we'll just do it with uh, Mark. It's all there written in front of us. So we've seen in Mark that John the Baptist is a preacher. We've seen that Jesus is a preacher. And the next couple of chapters we'll look at in the next couple of weeks are about Jesus preaching, its priority, him speaking. Just turn forward in Mark to chapter 3. So Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, exactly the same as him, and have authority to cast out demons. So here in Mark, Jesus is commissioning the apostles, and we read about the apostles in the early church, and their job was to speak as Jesus' representatives and to write down what they spoke in the New Testament so that the church, that's us, we'd have what we call the Apostles' Testimony, which are Jesus' words in the pages of the New Testament. And the Apostles, when they wrote the New Testament, wove that into the Old Testament. So we speak Jesus' words when we speak the Bible. Now, that argument is prefaced here in Mark's Gospel and followed up and articulated all the way through the New Testament. And if you're not yet convinced about that, Roger or me or Richard or any of us will take you through the logical steps of how you get from Jesus speaking to the apostles speaking to their written testimony to what we are commissioned to do. So when you get it to Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, who is the first generation of Christian ministers after the apostles, he says to Timothy, preach the word. What he means by that is the word that the apostles have given them. Now, The question there on the sheet is, speaking Jesus' words authoritative and powerful, I cannot find any argument in Scripture. I can find plenty of arguments in my own life and in my own heart to evade what Scripture says to me as a sinful man in this church, behind this lectern, that when I preach and teach the words of Jesus faithfully and clearly so that your noses are in here and you're saying that's what it says. And God has said it's got to come through human voices. We've got to speak. Why do we speak? Because God's always spoken his message with words. 
I cannot find any argument in the Bible that says you are not listening to Jesus' words with the same authority and the same power as where he's speaking them to you. There's no argument to suggest that's not true. The argument that it's coming through a sinful person is no argument. Because my job is like John the Baptist, to be humble, to sit behind the words, to say, I'm a servant. If I baptize you, we're going to do that in January. All I'm going to do is get you wet. It's Jesus who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. It's his call. All I have to do is say, come to Jesus. Repent and believe for the forgiveness of your sins. And if you do that and make that step, that's not my persuasion. It is the supernatural, effectual call of Jesus Christ through his words. Isn't that more wonderful than signing up to some religion? Where there are rules or where the people in front of you are priests? Is speaking Jesus' words authoritative? What about you when you are, are, are engaging with someone who isn't a Christian and you get to the point where you can talk the gospel to them and you point them to some verses in the Bible or whatever, or you read the Bible with them, is that in Costa Coffee, does it, I mean, really, does that really have the same authority as Jesus standing with these would-be apostles when they were in their boats and saying, come, follow me? Is it possible that someone could come and follow Jesus sitting in Costa Coffee with one of these fruit cakes? Or a latte? Absolutely. How do we know? It happens all the time. It happens all over the world. It's happened for 2,000 years. It's unstoppable. What happens, though, if I up here do not teach Jesus' words? Lots of things. My life is much easier. Remember that little verse after John was put in prison, Jesus spoke the gospel. It's a lot easier if you don't speak Jesus' words. What else will happen? The church might get twice as big. What will not happen is people will not have their blind eyes opened. It can't happen. Because the Bible says your blind eyes are open when the gospel is proclaimed. And the further on I get in ministry, you've got to bring in sharp young things like Roger to keep me on my toes and tell me what to say every week. One of you stumbled across Roger and I just outside in the, the, the corridor chatting after the first service before this one. How can we make it a little sharper, a little clearer? I think they were quite worried that, 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 that that's how we do all our preparation. But isn't it good that we come back in and think, well, can we just change that so people get it? It's a little bit clearer. That's just absolutely right. The longer I go on in ministry, though, the more I get to see in my small little span of years as a minister that this works. And that nothing else does. Three implications. Number one, corporately as a local church, it's crystal clear what we have to do, and that is to speak Jesus' words. Why? Because that is how the authority and power of Jesus is manifest. 
on Sundays, in our small groups, one-on-ones, whatever. It, the same goes individually, practically. Here's a question we've been wrestling with this week. Does that mean that when I do one-on-one evangelism, uh, I, need to, I need to be sitting there with this book open at this page, speaking Jesus' words from the Bible? Or can I, or can I just can I just get a Bible mindset and have a conversation that is Christian with somebody? Yes, you can, hundred percent. But why wouldn't you, if you can, get an opportunity, use this? Why wouldn't you down the track? after a lot of one-on-one relational work with someone, say, can we read the Bible together? And what you're really asking them, can we read Jesus' words together so that when we talk through it, we're going to just know that he is speaking. It's not magic. You don't need this physical book. You can memorize it. But these words, spoken, taught, are Jesus' words. What a wonderful resource we have. What freedom we have to use it. And I think you'll understand, too, that you don't need to have the gift of the gab or be articulate or know your way around the Bible back to front. These are Jesus' words. you just got to stumble through it and occasionally say something like, come and follow him. You don't need to give a big speech. These are Jesus' words. They're powerful. Why wouldn't you open this up? One-on-one. Because we're anxious, we're scared, we're not confident. But you would roast me alive on a Sunday if I didn't open this up and just gave you a 20-minute lecture. You'd be bored out your minds as well. But you'd roast me alive. I think one of the big steps forward we'll take as a church is we'll, we'll eventually get to the point where we're so confident in God and his gospel, not ourselves, that we will look for. In time, it's got to be well down the track with someone that you know one-on-one, that you'll say to them, look, can we read Mark together? Can we read? And you get to that wonderful bit in, in Mark chapter 1, and you're not even far into Mark, when you're sitting there in Costa Coffee, and you read these words, and you, and you just read the words with someone, and the words say, and it's Jesus speaking, come follow me. Or you read Jesus' words, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's not magic. These are his words. Or you get to Mark chapter 4, and you read that parable. Some seed fell on the hard path. Some seed fell on that path. You're reading it with someone. Imagine that. You're reading it. You're looking at it together. And and you read the bit that says, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth took the word and snatched it away. And you look up and you say, is that real? And God in his spirit is working in that person's heart and they are saying, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, that's real. That's exactly where I am And then you get to the bit, some of the seed fell in good soil, and that took a root, and it grew, and it flourished. And uh, I remember doing that with a man called Murray. We were reading this, and it was on uh, Arthur's seat, and it was a sunny day, 
And he looked at me and he said, that's me. And I said, Jesus is saying to you, Jesus is saying to you, come and follow me. And you turn to these words, come and follow me. And I am in the background and he is in the foreground. What a wonderful resource we have. And the extraordinary truth. You know, there's that verse in John, I think it says, you will do greater things than I. You will do greater things than I. Jesus said, how can that be? We have this. We get to speak his words with the same power and authority that he spoke them. And that's why, and maybe we're a little more persuaded, we should never, ever give up as a church on the Word of God in the Bible, even if it's kind of out of fashion as it is in our culture. Let me encourage and commend speaking Jesus' words to us all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this clear and powerful reminder of the power of Jesus' words, that when we speak them from the Bible, it carries the authority and power of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lord, it just might be that there's somebody here who is hearing the call of Jesus for the first time. Come to me. Follow me. And that call comes from a man who was lifted up on a cross to die for our sins and was raised to life to give us life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Come. And follow me for Jesus' sake. Amen.